time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb. I think you might have premature what? Prematurely claimed. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down. That's not what Heather says. She doesn't know she's asleep. She's just always pretending she's asleep because she just can't face it anymore. They they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Face face away, whatever. She's not asleep when D'Angelo comes over. Neither am I, that's what hurts. I'm not totally deaf, you know. I can hear what's going on. <laughs> the screaming, the moaning. Welcome back. I can hear the sighs of satisfaction. I've got feelings, you know. Welcome back to the Cold War anyway. Show, episode <laughs> 50. Um, picking up from mm. where we left off before our interview last week with uh, Professor Serhi Plohi from Harvard University. Uh, the last day or two of the Alter Conference is where we're at. So the last time, Ray, uh, we talked about their finalising their discussions on Poland. And, of course, the other thing that happened on February 9th in the plenary session was finalising their discussions uh, about Germany. Uh, who's going to be running Germany after World War II and the issue, of course, that is very important, particularly to Stalin, the issue of German reparations. How much cash Mm -hmm. is the Soviet Union going to get out of Germany so they can rebuild their their country, which has been destroyed, annihilated, large, large components of it anyway, annihilated? Yeah. Well, really, don't exaggerate, just from the western border to Moscow, you know, the parts that count. So yeah, so they're going to need ten billion and plus a whole lot more to rebuild. But you take what you can get and you move on. Specifically, one of the things that they're going to be talking about too is what to do with the Nazi big dogs, the the top <laughs> Nazi leaders. Now, Winnie the Pooh says to Frank and Joe, "This is an egg I have laid myself," and then he presented each of them with a turd wrapped up in golden tissue paper and a red ribbon. No, wait, that was just a, that, that was just a dream I had. He really did say that this is an egg I have laid myself. But uh, he is just talking about the Moscow Declaration of 1943 that he had helped draft that called for Nazi war criminals to be extradited to the countries in which they committed their crimes. Now... Churchill says that he wants the Nazi leaders, the big dogs, to be shot on capture. We're going to catch them, verify their ID, and then just shoot them in the head. Right. Well, I, I just want to ask real quick. I mean, here we are in the middle of Yalta, and they and FDR and um, Churchill are fighting tooth and nail to, to keep Stalin from getting everything he wants. And we've said this already. Stalin has got boots on the ground in Germany. He's a lot closer, so, you know... Possession is nine tenths of the law. And this idiot Churchill, two years ago, writes a thing that says, let's which whichever country they, you know, commit the crimes in, 
they should have to go back to there to face trials. Well, obviously, most of these German troops are going to end up going to Russia. So again, I'm not sure if this is a very important issue to Churchill, but it's just one more thing that if they do carry this out, you know, how many of these, how many people of uh, uh, German are in the German army is going to end up going to Russia to be tried? We know it's going to happen to him. But again, I I can't believe that he didn't think this thing through. Um, you know, think it to its logical conclusion that, yeah, once uh, Soviet Russia is invaded, the vast majority of the Wehrmacht is going to go there. And so you would have to send them all there. So I just I just have trouble wrapping my head around how he thought this would be a good idea politically. I mean, it's fair because they committed the crimes there, but I just don't see how he thought it was a good idea. But what about the whole idea of just shooting these guys without a trial? I mean, that doesn't seem very... yeah. No, Democrat. No, no. The first, the first idea, the first idea was stupid. This idea is just cruel. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna all agree on who who makes the list, and once we capture capture you and identify you, if you're on the list, you just get shot. We can we can talk about a trial, but there's certainly we don't want any press around. But pretty much take you out and shoot you like the Nazis were doing all over Europe. Yeah, and, and it kind of reminds me of President Obama's kill list. The people on Obama's kill list didn't get a trial, even if they were American citizens. They just got droned, and anyone in the vicinity, anyone in the same house as them, got droned. Uh, no trial, no uh, assumption of innocence, as is the norm in the Western, Western the judicial land. system. Anyway, so... Um, mm-hmm. One thing that we've only learnt in the last decade or so is that there were British War Cabinet papers that show that Churchill had been advocating since 1942 for a policy of summary execution for the top Nazis right. by using something called an act of attainder to circumvent legal obstacles. Because even back then in England, you had the a prisoner had the right to a trial, uh, even if they were captured uh, in war. There were still rules of engagement. This is before the Geneva Protocols, obviously, which come after World War Two. But there were still rules for how you dealt with prisoners of war. Now, the word attainder means tainted, and it's part of English mm. common law. Under English law. Uh, a criminal condemned for a serious crime, say like treason or felony, could be declared attainted or tainted, which meant that his civil rights were nullified. So you, you didn't yeah. get a trial. If you were suspected of treason or felony, boom, we could just have you killed. Now... You get a blindfold. Yeah, and it had been used for centuries in uh, England where the king could just have you executed without a trial and could then absorb all of your assets. So particularly handy if you have a rich member of the nobility who has a lot of land and you don't like the way he looks at your wife, you can have him declared... Uh, uh, guilty of treason, have him executed, no trial, and you say, I'll take all of his shit. Now, it was used, the act of attainder was used to execute quite a number of famous people. George Plantagenet, 
who is best known as the first Duke of Clarence. Uh, anyone who's a big fan of Richard III will know the line in the opening monologue, Dive thoughts down to my soul. Here Clarence comes. Um, the end of the monologue. And in fact, I tried to find a YouTube clip of somebody famous saying that. Uh, of all mm-hmm. the famous guys, Kevin Spacey, Lawrence Olivier, Al Pacino, that have performed Richard III, yeah. couldn't find any of them on YouTube. Actually, they all deliver the opening monologue, uh, but then it trails off before they get to that line. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, you have the famous mid-50s performance by Lawrence Olivier where he just fucking wrote... He, he mashed together. He did a mashup for the opening monologue between Richard's lines from Richard III and uh, I think Henry V or Henry II, whatever the other one was that he was in. Anyway, um, mm. uh, First Duke of Clarence was executed under the Act of Attainder. Thomas Cromwell and Catherine Howard, the fifth wife of Henry VIII, among many, many others. And it was used to dig up the rotting corpse of Oliver Cromwell and and mm. have the corpse hung in chains and then thrown <laughs> into a pit where and, and with Cromwell's severed head displayed on a pole outside of West, Westminster Palace for 20 years. Dang, that's personal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what we're going to do? We're going to dig up his dead body, cut the head off, stick so it on angry. a pole, and put it out the front of the palace. Whew. Now, what happened, the reason we found out about this stuff is that, uh, or the Churchill's policy, sorry, on executing the top Nazis, is that in 2006, the previously classified mm-hmm. diary of Guy Liddell, who was the head of counter-espionage at MI5, um, that he this diary that he'd kept during the 40s and the 50s was declassified in 2006. Uh, it was something part of something called Codename Wallflower uh, that was kept in a safe in the office of successive MI5 director generals. They were supposed to read it so they knew the history mm-hmm. behind certain things of running of MI5. Anyway, it was declassified, uh, as I said, about 10 or 11 years ago, and we found out that Churchill and the War Cabinet in general, uh, most of them had been pushing for just summary execution of the top Nazis. So they didn't want a trial at all. Just get them, shoot them, that's it. By the way, Guy Liddell's second cousin was Alice Pleasance Liddell, who was the childhood friend of Lewis Carroll and was the basis for Alice in Wonderland. Wow. There you go. Never knew that Alice in Wonderland was based on an actual girl, Alice Pleasance Liddell. Well, if, if I could just throw in 1942, the the, Brit, the Britons are getting their ass uh, handed to them. Uh, they're having a hard time. They're fighting back and forth in uh, North Africa. Hitler's doing reasonably well in Russia. I mean, you've got to be thinking it's the middle of the war. Um, every, you know... Things are going. Things are not going well. You've lost a lot of people. Uh, thank goodness the um, the Americans are now supplying you or whatever. But yeah, it it to me 
it doesn't seem like it would be much of a leap to go, okay, this we're, we're you know, we're, we're in the middle of this. I, I'm, we're all scared and angry and we want revenge or whatever. So I could see a policy like that coming. Okay. If we get out of this thing alive, we're going to shoot all the sons of bitches that are responsible for this. Uh, the, the officers, the, the generals, whatever. I mean, I could see it happening again. You would like to think at some point they would cool down and go, Oh my God, what was I thinking? I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a prime minister. We, we don't th- do things like that in the West, at least, you know, in theory. But I could certainly see them throwing the idea together and running with it, at least for a little while in 1942. But what's the downside of having a trial once you've got them captured? Oh, well, it, uh, as, as, they, as uh, Mr. Plohe said in his book, in the Western world, you have the rule of law, and if you and that's that's one of those that's a slippery slope. Once the trial starts, and I've been in a couple of them, trust me, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what someone's going to say. You never know what the technicalities are. Someone might get off or whatever. But you you have to air everything. You have to get everything out there, and it would just be a lot easier. And let's be honest, cheaper, quicker, and less stressful and and everything else you especially just want to wrap it up after world war take the guys out shoot them you know they're guilty because there's footage of them they've issued orders you can get pieces of paper that the germans haven't burnt up yet because the americans and the russian came in so fast um you know they're guilty just save yourself all that headache because there's so many of them there's an entire country of germans there's an entire army of german officers just take them out and shoot them but guilty guilty of what 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 were the Germans what uh, were the you, you what were the just, Germans guilty of that yeah. the British and the American and the Soviets weren't also guilty of? Oh, okay. Well, one they started it. That's always Did the they? big thing. I mean, they're the ones who invaded Poland, and they're the ones who harassed all the countries before Poland uh, taking territory left and right. There's the uh, the cruelty, the uh, the Holocaust, or whatever. But. Um, so, okay, so, 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 but basically, so, when you're the one who starts the war, you get the responsibility. You break it, you pay for it. So, England and the United States and Soviet Union had never invaded another country. They hadn't committed acts of genocide. Yeah, well, they hadn't killed yeah, innocent but we're civilians. Talking about, we're talking about this war right here. Mm. Anyway, um, so this. Uh, this this issue of uh, what they're going to do about how they're going to treat the German top dogs comes up on February 9th. But it was close to 8pm. The session had already been going on for three and a half hours. Frank wants to call it a night because he's old and he's tired and he's sick. He said, oh, it's too complicated. Let's give it to the foreign ministers and they can report on it three or four weeks. Now, remember that story we told yonks ago, Ray, about Rudolf Hess flying to England? Yes. For my money, I've got a plan. hands down the greatest story of World War II. Um, well, Stalin brings it up at Yalta and asks yeah. Pooh Bear if guys like Hess are going to be put on trial before being shot. Yeah. Well, I I found it interesting that, so, you know, Churchill's like, no, we got to work this out. I know it's late. We've been here for three and a half hours. You're tired, guys. We're all old fucks. But we got to work this out. This is important. And FDR's like, yeah, yeah, give it to the foreman. I'm like, I don't care. Um, but then that's when Stalin goes, oh, oh, okay, this is something I have some experience in and some interest. I'd like to talk about this. But yeah, so he's got this, he's got, he's trying to probe Churchill and try to find out what this man is thinking. So, uh, so Hess, um, would he end up against the wall as, as like everybody else? 
I mean, he actually jumps into the conversation. But I think his big question is, are we going to put them on trial? Now, according to the, yeah. the sources, Pooh is shocked by Stalin's suggestion that they should be put on trial. This is the man, Stalin, right. who said when they're in Tehran that 50,000 German officers should be executed. But now he's going, but we should put them on trial first. Now, remember <laughs> that Pooh was offended in Tehran when Stalin said this. I recall he got up and walked out of the dinner and yes. they had to go get him and go, calm the fuck down. It's like, we, you know, we're kind of only kind of kidding, kind of. Um, we're just, it's just banter. Man, it's just banter. Um, but just locker room. But talk. now, as it turns out, he'd always wanted the top Nazis to be summarily executed. Um, so mm. was he really offended? Was it just the concept of fifty thousand? Look, the top fifty, sure, we can execute those, but not the top fifty thousand. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what his issue is. Anyway, so Frank jumps in at this point. They wake him up. They slap him around. Wake up, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> wakey, wakey. What's going on? And um, he said he didn't think... He thought there should be trials, but he didn't think it should be too judicial. What do you think he meant by yeah. not... Not real trials. Not real right. trials. Right. Let's go through the motions. Let's everybody dress up. We'll play costume. And, and uh, it's like playing school or the doctor. Let's go through the motions. But we shoot them at the end, right? And absolutely no photographers or fucking reporters around because this is bad enough as it is. But these guys need to be eliminated. They've earned their deaths by all their savagery. The Treasury Secretary, Henry Morgenthau, had been recommending an eye-for-an-eye approach to shoot the Nazi leaders uh, and banish the rest of them to the far corners of the world. But Secretary of War Henry Stimson had been pushing for trials. So Churchill, at this point, kind of agrees somewhat to trials being acceptable, but they should be mostly political trials. Um, and is still kind of keen to get out of this discussion. I mean, he he really just wants to shoot them, but it's very difficult for him to be on the record arguing against fucking Stalin, of all people, who say, well, sure, they should be having trial. Yes, this is the right thing to do. They have trial. And Churchill, the one going, no, we just line them up against the wall and shoot them. Even though that's what he wanted, it's not a good look for a British prime minister. So... He's like, oh, let's let's say I agree with what Roosevelt said before. Let's 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 just push the whole thing out to the foreign ministers. Yeah, that was a good idea. I know I said I was Adam Ant, uh, but that's just because I like to wear, dress up like a pirate. Um, really, I, I, let's just write down a list of the the major war criminals, and we'll let the FMs figure out what to do about it later. Now, I actually think there are some yeah. really interesting reasons why they wanted to avoid trials for the Nazi leadership, Ray, but. You want to say something? I'm sorry. I just want to throw something out because um, in my Stalin bio, I've gotten to 1919. It's near the end of the Russian Civil War. What's left of the White Army is trapped down in the Crimea. 
And Stalin, pretty much on his own authority, says, I'm going to have shot roughly a thousand people between the governors, counterintelligence officers, um, and some, and some uh, other, other white, um, white officers. I can't remember exactly right now. But he roughly had, on his orders alone, a thousand people shot, which obviously broke the back of the white army. And I mean, that, but that's the whole point is you shoot the officers. There's no one to lead these forces and they're nothing more than a mob. It's a very effective deterrent from having to fight organized resistance. So this is nothing new to Stalin, but I just love the way he seems to be fucking with but Churchill. We're not talking about, yeah, Joel, they're not talking about shooting them during the war. They're talking about shooting them after the war after the war arresting them and shooting them so it's not really an issue of taking out the leadership in the middle of a war right but for me the fact that they're just throwing the word is this a judicial trial or a political trial just because you throw the word political in front of a trial it's like suddenly the rules don't matter and you can really do whatever you want yeah well, you know, I think it's worth trying to work out why they didn't want a trial, um, uh, the the Brits in particular here. Um, mm-hmm. It might be, as you suggested before, that if they're given a fair trial, they might be acquitted. There's a chance that maybe their defence attorneys will be able to put up a strong arg- argument that, well, what they yeah, did, what they know. did was really n- not out of the norm. Yes, they were invade. They invaded a couple of countries, but they were pushed to do that because of the economic sanctions that were placed on Germany by the Westerners before they that. Orders and they right. followed orders exactly. But also this key issue that well, yes, but the, they were being crushed. The German Empire. Uh, well, they could go back to World War One, uh, for example, or the Treaty of Versailles, and say, well, yes, okay, but let's go back and say that the uh, reparations placed on Germany after World War One were extreme and unjustified and immoral. It crushed the country's economy. When Hitler tried to rebuild it, there were new economic trading sanctions placed on Germany, which was crushing the economy more. So he had no choice but to go and try and take mm-hmm. the uh, uh, economic resources of Czechoslovakia and Poland. And by the way, you told him it was okay to go into Czechoslovakia, so, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> you, you, you said, sure, go take it. It's just a bunch of Czechs. We don't give a fuck. Going to give a fuck. Don't give a exactly. fuck about the Chuck. Um, so that could have all come out in a, in a fair trial. And I don't think they want right. that narrative to be put out there in the public arena they they if there is going to be a trial they want it to be a kangaroo court basically which is in effect what ended up happening at nuremberg guy liddell uh the mi5 guy uh had a different view he wrote in his diary winston had put forward execution sorry winston had put executions forward at yalta but Roosevelt felt that the Americans would want a trial. Joe supported Roosevelt on the perfectly frank grounds that Russians liked public trials for propaganda purposes. It seems to me that we are just being dragged down to the level of the travesties of justice that have been taking place in the USSR for the past 20 years. So he seems to be suggesting that a, a kangaroo court 
used for propaganda purposes is a travesty of justice. But standing guys up against a wall and putting one between their eyes isn't, which I find interesting. Well, and and I just find it interesting that Stalin, as as we've been saying, has very positive has a very positive experience uh, with show trials. He was able to uh, to accomplish a lot of what he wanted, uh, getting rid of a lot of the old um, the old uh, comrades who who came up with him since the uh, the February Revolution. So when it comes to show trials, he has a very he has very positive connotations of that. It's the other two that are like, mm, yeah, this is kind of sticky. Let's let's just do it quickly. No press, no reporters, and then we'll take him out and shoot him right. And so I just find it interesting that someone's like, oh, I got a guy for you. You should talk to my lawyer. He, he's done a bunch of these for me in the 1930s. He can tell you all about it. Yeah. And by the way, here he is. Um, yeah. Look, I. I, I, I can see that Stalin understood the value of uh, the propaganda that could be gained out of that. Now, let's remember mm-hmm. that all parties here, in terms of the big three, had been responsible for war crimes during World War II, or what would today be considered war crimes. We've talked about right. the bombing of Dresden and, and many other German cities. You know, we haven't even got to the nuclear attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, we, we've talked about, you know, many of many of the things that the Soviets had done in in Poland, um, etc. Uh, so mm-hmm. none of them would come out well if they were put up on trial. But if you can, if you can run a kangaroo court show trial that lays all of the blame and all of the evil for World War II on a handful of Germans, then you right. can kind of just get everyone focused on that, deflect attention from the things that your own countries had done and just move the fuck on, which is, in fact, kind of what happened. In fact, the during the Nuremberg trials, the chief justice of the United States at the time called it a fraud, even mm. though one of his colleagues was uh, involved as one of the judges. But more on that in later episodes. I think we'll cover the Nuremberg trials in great detail when we get up to it. And, of course, for Joe, there's no difference between a political trial and a legal trial. It's pretty much, <laughs> I do you. not understand what you talk about difference here. <laughs> All trials are political trials in my country. Mother Russia. All trials are political trials. <laughs> we try them. I decide they take an out and shot. What? Uh, we're ready for lunch now. Yeah. So there is no difference. There's only one type of trial in Russia. And so he, and again, like um, the gentleman we just had on the show, uh, Plohi, was saying that um, the guys in the West and Stalin are really having a cultural. They really have a cultural division, and they don't get some of the details. It's like, and this is a perfect example of that, Stalin has no problem with trials because he can control every tiny aspect of it. In fact, there's there's um, some stuff where the secret police rehearse with the guys while they're beating the shit out of them uh, before they're taken out and to say whatever line Stalin has fed into them. So he has no problem with that. And uh, the other two were like, this is a can of worms. If you get it going, there's no telling what's going to come out. And we do not need Mm. that. So as I mentioned, the other German questions that remain unresolved on the day, apart from who we're going to kill uh, and whether or not they're going to get a trial, is the composition of 
the Allied Control Commission, which is the body they're going to set up to run Germany after uh, the war, and the issue of German reparations. Now, Pooh Bear, as uh, Serhi Plohi mentioned on our interview with him, still wanted France to be made a full member of the commission. Um, And Mm -hmm. Joe still wanted $10 billion in reparations. This is the number that Ivan Maisky had put forward in his proposal. But as I think we talked about uh, earlier in an earlier episode, Pooh Bear was worried that extracting that much cash out of the German economy would make it bleed to death. Joe, on the other hand, didn't want the British to have a proxy in the form of France on the control commission. And as Serhi Plohi pointed out, Roosevelt didn't really care. He, 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 was, he was done at this stage. He got what he wanted. Yeah. Russia's entry into the war in the Pacific with Japan, the creation of the United Nations, yeah. the rest of it doesn't matter. He, he, he's like, yeah. hey, I, my name's Paul. My name's Paul. This is between you all. You just go sort it out. I'm tired. <laughs> I want to go home. Right. Yeah. But I mean, but yeah, to be, if you're going to come in and, and your goal is to be the judge between Churchill and Stalin, but you only give a fuck about two items, like you said, Japan and the UK and the UN, excuse me. I mean, I don't know. It, it just sets up, this just sets up a lot of problems for the meeting that is Yalta because Stalin needs as much money or equipment or whatever he can get because thousands of miles of his country has been destroyed. And Churchill's like, we can't have Germany financially raped because then we're going to end up having to send food to Germany. We're going to end up having to send massive amounts of troops to keep the peace because there's going to be instability. It's going to be a nightmare. And so one of them needs something the other one needs it not to happen and so what do you possibly do and and it pretty much comes down to a battle of the wills but again stalin is the big man on the scene churchill needs all the help he can get but he's not going to get it because it's not on fdr's very short list of things that he actually gives a crap about my name is paul this is between y'all yeah well uh frank recently uh, had recently joked to Pooh Bear this <clears throat> this has been a fine conference Winston unless you go back to Paris and make another speech and tell the Frenchman that the British intend to equip 25 more French divisions with American equipment <laughs> now he was referring to a speech Pooh Bear had given in Paris on November 11th 1944 mm-hmm. a couple of months before Yalta Pooh at first denied making the statement. Then he said, <clears throat> whatever I say in Paris, whatever I said in Paris, I said in French. And I never know what I'm saying when I talk in French. So pay no attention to it. It reminds me of that time I said to Stalin, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? Visualizing Churchill saying, Hey, Joe, want to give it a go? Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? C'est moi. Stalin wisely. Yeah. No, you are not my type. Unless I. Perhaps your daughter, who you brought. A few more vodkas. No, the daughter's for Berea. We know that. Uh, Oh, that's right. Um, 
so what's but, all this I, about? Yeah. I mean, what's what's Winston got himself into here, and why is Frank making a big deal out of it? Help me understand it, well, Ray, I just think it's, as an it's, American. Well, the way I read it, um, it was it was supposed to be a little bit of a lighter moment, a light moment when FDR is ribbing Churchill about you're making a lot of promises with American goods because you know at this point America is almost sinking the island of Britain with all the uh, material that we sent to it. And so here's Churchill going, no, if if you need another, if you need us to equip another 25 divisions to help bring you up to strength, France, so you can help us keep an eye on Germany and, let's be honest, Russia, I've got it. I've got it in a warehouse right now. That's no problem. So I just think it was FDR who was making a joke. But at the same time, as we've said before, he doesn't really care about this issue. So he, he gives his... I don't know what you want to call it, tepid, passive, lukewarm support on the idea that French, that, excuse me, that that France should be able to sign the Declaration of Liberated Europe. But again, Stalin doesn't care. He's the man who's got boots on the ground and he's not budging because his response to all of this is three powers are better than four. So he just doesn't care about France. He France got their ass kicked ass handed to them early. They didn't do anything you could argue to help liberate Europe. Um, and as far as he's concerned, why should they be rewarded? Why should they be brought on the level of the big three? It makes no sense to his way of thinking. When Stalin said three powers are just better than four, this music started playing out of nowhere. <laughs> Superman flew in uh, and said, dude, what are you talking about? Try this. I've got the power of flight, superhuman strength, mm-hmm. x-ray vision, heat vision, cold breath, icy cold, powerful breath, super speed, enhanced hearing, and near invulnerability. Not to mention the ability to fly backwards around the world and make time... <laughs> Go backwards. What do you mean, three powers? No, you want all the powers. It's what you want. More is like better. More is more. Silar in Heroes, man, or Peter Petrelli. You just want to be absorbing all the powers. Suck it all in. Anyway. Wait a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so again, FDR is trying to go through the motions. It's like Heather sleeping with me. He's going through the motions of supporting France. He's like, you know, in earlier drafts, France had been included, but now they're absent. Uh, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do with that. But Churchill takes that as a sign of hope that maybe FDR is coming around to his side. Mm, well, Lord Moran... Lord Moran, who's uh, Churchill's doctor, who's there, wrote in his diary, The president sides with Stalin. He likes France, but de Gaulle gets on his nerves. However, Hopkins is backing the PM. He has the good sense to see that a stable Europe is impossible without a strong and virile France. And if we know anything about the French... It's their virile. That's one thing they're known for. They are very virile. Um, so Harry Hopkins, do you agree with that statement? Which bit? Do you do you agree that that France is needed 
in order to have a stable euro? Um, well, de- de- depends. I mean, it's certainly a large country. Depends on your definition of stable. I think Stalin mm. could have taken over Europe and it would have been stable because there'd be okay. one power. Politically and economically. No, I don't think a strong France. Like, uh, you know, I think uh, we have to always keep in mind, and we've mentioned this previously on this show, and we've talked about it on the Bullshit Filter recently too. Britain's view of Europe for centuries had been divide and conquer. Their Mm -hmm. geopolitical policy for Europe since the time of Napoleon and before that, um, this goes back to uh, Cardinal Richelieu, we talked about, who you know Henry Kissinger admired, and how Richelieu managed to to <laughs> sort of break up the Holy Roman Empire or, or keep them at bay. Anyway, it's divide and conquer. If you can have multiple relatively strong powers vying f- between each other for more control of of more economic power and more military power. Um, then you you prevent any single power emerging that could become a threat to British economic and British military interests. So I don't think they really cared about... When they say a stable Europe, I think what the British mean, whether it's Moran or Churchill, is actually a, a stable, divided Europe that isn't strong enough to compete with us. That's my uh, mm. translation. What do you think? I th- I thought based on the interview we did with Plohe that um, everyone assumed the American forces would be pulled out of Europe. There was no way Britain could keep Germany, its part of Germany, under control and keep the Soviets from expanding if they so chose to all by themselves. Um, and I don't think the American people would have agreed to come back had Russia started moving in on uh on Western Europe, uh, excuse me, Western Germany. So I think Britain needed France to be a lot stronger militarily, militarily, economically, politically, something like that. That was going to be their only backup in case something went down in Europe. So I think that Churchill, I think Churchill's um, goal is accurate, and it's a good one to have France back up on its feet to help Britain, at least for the short term, keep an eye on Soviet Union. Right, but... That's not a stable Europe. That's a Europe that's not controlled by the Soviet Union, which are different things. So you, you, you can have one without the other. And no one has more right. of an interest in keeping Germany uh, under control than the Russians. They're the ones that have suffered the most, mm-hmm. both times uh, in the previous 30 years where Germany has, has gone to war with Europe, um, out of these three anyway. So if if anyone has an interest in keeping uh, Germany limited, then, then you would think it would be Stalin, but Stalin doesn't want France involved. So I don't think... Stalin mm. doesn't see that France is necessary. I don't know why England would see that, unless, you know, from Churchill's perspective, he doesn't want to and probably can't afford to keep British troops in Europe uh, keeping an eye on Germany. He, uh, Roosevelt's already Definitely, told him the right. Americans are probably going to pull out. Um, so, he, and, and they, that, they both know what that means. That means that it's, it is an open playing field for Stalin, um, which is probably what Stalin wants too. So I don't think it's about 
stability. I think it's about, as you said, preventing Soviet control of Germany. That's what he's yeah. looking for here. Yeah. It's what all of them... It's, 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 yeah, it's a complex, multi-layered uh, issue, and you don't know who you can trust. I mean, Churchill's probably just reaching for straws at this point. Well, I think, you know, the, as we've talked about, and we will talk about more as we go forwards, the single biggest cause of the Cold War is the fear, primarily that the Americans have, that the Soviet Union is going to expand either militarily, politically, or economically across Europe and Asia and develop uh, an economic trading block which is going to prevent the United States from trading with those countries, which is going to damage the US economy. That's the main reason for trying to uh, limit the expansion of the Soviet Union. Uh, and, and this is an early indicator of their, you know, their thinking around that. Anyway, Lord Moran continued in his diary, Hopkins, Hopkins, of course, is a valuable ally, and particularly now when the president's opinions flutter in the wind. <laughs> he knows the president's moods like a wife watching the domestic climate. He will sit patiently for hours, blinking like a cat, waiting for the right moment to put his point. And if it never comes, he is content to leave it to another time. I'm a leaf on the wind. Watch how I fall. Oh, no! No. No, wash. Oh. Wash, no. <laughs> oh. oh. No, I'm yeah, sad. Yeah, so sad, man. Yeah. Oh, well. Now, so so Hopkins, I mean, you're absolutely right. Hopkins, uh, excuse me, Lord Morn is absolutely right. Hopkins has been with FDR for years. They've had this intimacy that very um, few other people have with the president. And he knows him and he knows if he can wait, get him at the right time. Because Hopkins is on the Churchill train from day one. He wants whatever whatever's best for Britain. He, he's he's a... a um, What's the word I'm looking for? Anglophile, whatever. Uh, but he's totally in their camp. Now, Hopkins and all the other men behind FDR, Harriman, uh, Charles Burns, Charles Bolhan, uh, they all agree that France should be representative on the council, that they need to have a zone. They need to be propped up as a world power. They need to be respected because they will be greatly humiliated. Now, don't get me wrong. I fucking hate De Gaulle, and I would love to bitch slap him right now if I could. And as you're going to find out in a couple of minutes, I think you would agree with me. But uh, they have the British truly believe that they need to prop up the French. And so all these people who are pro-British behind FDR are pressuring him to help. And so he decides that he will give it a go. But like you said earlier, he just doesn't care all that much. It's not on his to-do list to get done. You know, the real reason why they hated de Gaulle, which um, doesn't get talked about a lot, but I did manage to dig this up in an old book, is because apparently de Gaulle was the one who told Churchill that he should go around to people and say, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? He said it really means, can you get me some expensive champagne? 
and Churchill went around saying that to everyone, and de Gaulle was laughing his ass off, smoking galois in the corner. Oh, you're stupid. You're stupid, Englishman. And they found that out. They were furious. Not that Churchill stopped saying it, because, you know, he, he got laid. Got him laid a lot. But, yeah, yeah, so that's really why they hated de Gaulle. It's history, people. That is history. That's why you come to this show. Your Harvard University <laughs> professors, they don't know everything. We are where you get the real facts. Now, on February 9th, when Joe showed no signs of being prepared to compromise on the issue of the Control Commission, Francis' involvement in the Control Commission, Frank decides not to push it any further, particularly in front of Winston. He's very... Yeah, because if he... If he had... I'm sorry, but if he had, you know, Churchill would have went on and on and on, and that just would have pissed Stalin off even more. You know, why why get him going? Drop it for now. Come back later. I think it's also part of Roosevelt's playbook here to not being seen uh, in these sessions to be pushing for one side over the other. He's trying to play Judge Roosevelt, uh, as uh, Sir he uh, mentioned it, which is actually Plohe. Plohe, Sir he Plohe's terms. Um, in fact, that's Roosevelt's own wording. Uh, he calls himself Judge Roosevelt at one point here. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't want to be seen to be making too strong a case for either side. He sees himself as the arbiter between uh, England and the Soviet Union here. So anyway, he uh, hedges his earlier comments um, and agrees to limiting the signatures to the three great powers, saying it would be a good idea, but again says let's let the foreign ministers deal with it later tonight. Kicks the can down the road, yeah. as <laughs> Professor Plohe right. said. But, but then... But then, but yes. then I was going to say, yeah, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. But then he has this brilliant tactic. Now, I think we've established the fact that FDR and Stalin have come a long way as far as getting to know each other, as far as coming to an understanding of reading each other by February 9th. So like you said, FDR goes like, you know, yeah, maybe, but we've got the three signatures on there. That's good enough. Let's not worry about it. Let's let the foreign ministers talk about it. But... Right after the meeting, FDR sends Harriman to tell, to tell Stalin that FDR has changed his mind, that he wants France's full participation on the control commission. Stalin gives in. He sees the writing on the wall or whatever. He, he, he now knows that basically FDR is asking for a favor behind Churchill's back. Look, look, just do me the solid. I know I'm going to owe you one, but this is something that... Uh, I really want so please. I'm when this when this is brought up again. I'm gonna I'm gonna be full, all the way forward, and I just want to let you know. So Stalin's gonna give in, and so again, this is a big victory for Churchill, a smaller victory for FDR because he doesn't really care. But F, but Stalin keeps his word. The next day on February 10th, when FDR says, "Oh, by the way, I changed my mind. I'm really pro France right now. I'm not so much pro De Gaulle, who is, but I'm pro France, and I want them in on the commission." Stalin raises his arms in surrender. Yes, that's fine. You can have what you want. And many Americans and the Europeans in the room are absolutely floored by this. They just see it as a huge victory for uh, for FDR, the president, and Churchill as well. Yeah, that was the uh, secret signal 
that Frank and Joe had discussed before the session. Remember, if you think they're onto you, give us the signal. You remember the signal? That's right. All right. <laughs> if you haven't... Now, until this moment, I always thought it was like just good, but no, it turns yeah. out that you, when you want to give in, you just raise your arms in a meeting and you don't, don't say anything. Wave your arms around in the air. Um, now, <laughs> you just, yeah. Now, uh, Star, when he got the note from Roosevelt the previous night, Stalin knew Joe was asking for a secret favor because of the lipstick kisses that he put on the letter. That was their <laughs> hidden code. XXO. Yeah, he knew yeah. that was the signal. So now. Yeah, he gives in uh, on February 10th. Now, the British and the Americans are both surprised. Frank, obviously not, because he had asked him for a favour. They're both surprised that Stalin, <laughs> who up until this point has been niet, 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 when it comes to France uh, and the Control Commission, all is like... In reparations? <laughs> what's yes in Russian? <laughs> Yavol? No, that's German. Uh, da! Da! <laughs> Yavol. Da! Da! da. <laughs> very much da! What da! Da da da. Now the I'm big on the da. Now the British, in particular, are kind of pissed. They get what they want, but they're pissed yeah. at the same time. Why is that, Ray? I would be, I would be. So, so again, and I'm becoming a huge fan of Lord Moran, uh, Churchill's doctor. He writes, "The president has changed his mind again." No, but nobody appears to be the least surprised. He has now agreed with the Prime Minister that France should be a member of the Control Commission. Stalin made a plan at once that if this is what the if this is the President's wishes, he would accept it. One cannot help noticing Stalin's deference to the President's opinions throughout the conference. This frame of mind does not come naturally to Stalin. So what's going on? Why why are the British pissed when they're getting what they want? Because because it's it's you're you're dissing their man, you're dissing their leader. Whenever Churchill wants something, Stalin's giving him the cold shoulder. FDR just it seems like FDR is just like you know it'd be really nice if I could have that. And so I was like, okay, 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 yeah, that's fine. And so it just seems like they're dissing his man that he's not being respected, which means they're not being respected. But it's all about the president, and everybody in this room has got an ego, and these big three have got the biggest egos. I, I just see it as a slight to them, and until until the, uh, Germany invaded Russia, Britain was carrying this freaking war, you can say, all by themselves, trying to resist the German onslaught. So, you know, they certainly have earned their stripes, and they, they should have earned uh, respect of everybody in the room. I think, as um, Professor Plohe said, uh, at this point, though, everyone knew, including the British, that the British w weren't a major player anymore. So no one really gave a shit. Yeah. Stalin in particular. A little sensitive. Stalin doesn't give a shit what yeah. the British think because the British have got nothing to offer him. The British are toothless tiger. They're done. They're spent. Uh, their days of yeah. glory Empire's are coming gone. Down. Exactly. It's on a countdown. It's like, it, yeah. it would be like... Um, J. David Markham coming to me and offering me his services as a podcaster. I'd be like, <laughs> Damn. what have you got? Like, what else you got, man? You got, <laughs> I kid, I'm kid. I'm dissing. I would love to do something with my old friend yes. again. In fact, if you haven't heard it, <laughs> he was recently the guest on, um, 
Zach Twalmy's uh, when when diplomacy fails podcast for three hours. Markham talking about oh my god himself and uh, <laughs> a little bit about Napoleon, but mostly about himself for three hours. Um, it's you know, and, and he and he sticks the <laughs> sticks the boot into me uh, a few times, which is quite funny. Has a couple of cracks at me in uh, good 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 humor, but. Um, it's yeah. worth worth listening to. It's quite funny. And if you want to know more about David, I learned things about David from that that I didn't know. Like he, he used to be a wedding photographer, oh, cool. um, which you know, now that he's had three of his own uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're called selfies when it's your own yeah, wedding. Should have got him to shoot all mine. Anyway, uh, check that out. Uh, when diplomacy fails. Yeah, so getting back to Stalin, uh, Churchill didn't really have anything to... Offer so he didn't really give a shit. But when when the yeah. Americans asked him for a favor, ah. that's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, well, it's like Mister Plo. He said um, he needs peace with the Americans. He needs stability so he can rebuild his country. Give him ten, fifteen years, and then we'll see what's what. But at least give me a decade of peace so I can rebuild. And the only way I'm going to get peace is if I have some kind of understanding, some kind of relationship with the Americans. Fuck the British. You know, what are they going to do? Exactly. Well, let's uh, wrap it up there, my friend. That's an hour. And um, let me just read uh, a review and maybe some heroes. Because we haven't done that for a while. So um, I have a review from Canada um, from (laughs) Aries Phoenix, which uh, is a great name. Uh Even before Mm -hmm. the first episode is released, we all know how amazing this is going to be. I laughed so hard once driving on the highway, I had to pull over to the side of the road and spit out my coffee. I am not kidding. Plus, you actually learn a ton and impress all the ladies with your history knowledge. That may sound like a joke, but it's also true. I once got a girl to come home with me after starting the conversation explaining the etymology of the word palace coming from the Palatine Hill where Augustus built his home. Listen to this podcast. I'm going to try that tonight with Heather. You know that uh, we're Palatine. And, and just see where it goes. Palace, uh, you my, know, I'll let you know how it works My out. theory is the girl just heard blah, 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 palace and went, oh, really? You live in a palace? <laughs> All right. Well, You're rich? I'll You're check rich? it out. Yeah. Well, thank you, Aries Phoenix. Send us a... Email to email at a coldwar.com with your address in Canada and and we'll send you something, eh? Yeah, we'll send you something up there in Canada, eh? Yeah. Uh, some DEFCON 1 heroes that have joined us recently that I want to thank. Bradley Moore, Ian Hamilton, Matt Owen, Jaden Purchison, Nathan Grindle, Steve Badger, Falaran Eniton, Thomas Caruso and Alex Wilmhurst. Wilmshurst, uh, thank you, everyone, for thank joining the ranks of the patrons of the show. You are true Cold War heroes. And uh, with that, we'll see you next week. Curtain has descended across the continent.
something for you, Mr. Bond. Uh, just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. The Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. At four o'clock this morning, Hitler attacked and invaded Russia. Thank you.